Good morning. If you have your Bibles, open them to Acts chapter 27. And if you need a Bible, raise your hand and they'll get you one. Hold your hand up and they'll get it to you there eventually. You know, we live at a time where we are so used to a certain pace of living. We, we get frustrated very easily if there's too much traffic, if the line is too long at Starbucks, if they get the order wrong, and it can ruin our whole day. I can mine. And, and those little things can really set us off. Remember in Acts where we're at right now, Paul is coming actually to the end of his life, but we're coming to the end of this, this book in our account of Paul. He was in Jerusalem. They mobbed him. They were going to kill him. He was rescued by the Roman guards, but put in prison. And then he was sent up to Caesarea to escape that persecution that was there. And then he's been in prison with no reason for two years. And so when you think about frustration, having to wait, that idea of, man, when is this going to end? Or, or maybe it's a... You know, you're dealing with doctors or you're dealing with the DMV or something and you're waiting and you're having to, when is this going to happen? When am I going to get the results from this test? When am I going to finally get out of this situation? Well, Paul's been in this situation for two years. In prison, just doing nothing. Well, he's, he's interacting with his friends. He's got pretty much a, a nice set up as far as prison goes. He's not in a dungeon. He's in Herod's quarters because he's a Roman citizen. But at the same time, he's not free to move about. And one of the things that we have to recognize is the work that God is trying to do within our lives, even in those kinds of situations. And if we're not looking at things clearly, if our perspective isn't bigger than just the situation, we will not see the hand of God at work. In Proverbs 9, verse 9, it says, Instruct a wise man, and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he will add to his learning. We saw Paul at the very beginning of his conversion, early on in Acts, where Barnabas brought him to Jerusalem and he had so much zeal, it almost got him killed. And it says his brothers had to tell him, you need to get out of here, Paul. It's too hot for you in Jerusalem. Go. Just get out. And then right after it told him they said to leave, it says that then there was peace in Jerusalem. It's like, get rid of this guy. Ah. <sighs> Yeah, and we've all experienced that, maybe with family or something. You know. Bye now. Ah, you know, and you get to relax. Okay, they're gone. 
But we see that Paul, through this journey, has been growing. We saw that that zeal gained wisdom, gained patience. And now here, towards the latter part of his ministry, we're going to see that patience and that spirit change within him to a gentle spirit starting to take place. In verse 1 through 3, it says, When it was decided that we, that means Luke was with him there, would sail for Italy, that sounds nice, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from that place, Adramathium, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. The next day, we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so that he might provide for his needs. Why would Julius do that? Paul is a prisoner. What is it that made Julius say to Paul, you know what, you're free to go. Go ahead and hang out, go amongst the the group there and get to know your friends and have them take care of you. Have you ever been on a a cruise, like maybe one of those short cruises to Ensenada? I got to go on one of those. haven't gotten on the big cruise yet, but one of these days. And you go to a port, and then they say, okay, you're free to go and have the day in Ensenada, and you can go buy souvenirs for too much money and, and get a blanket or a poncho or whatever it is you want to get and bring back to the... You're allowed to go and wander free. Well, Paul was allowed this freedom to go and hang out with his friends, but that wasn't something that was normal for a prisoner. That wasn't something that he would naturally be inclined to because a prisoner is, they're worrying about escape, they're worrying about if they're going to come back, but he didn't have that worry with Paul. And we see the intensity of the situation later on in the same chapter, verse 42, after the ship is shipwrecked, and if you Want to hear the whole story, you can read along later on. We, we talked about that on Thursday. But in verse 42, it says, The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion, that's Julius, wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on pieces of the ship, and this way everyone reached the land safely. And so this was a serious situation. There are prisoners there, and they were planning to kill them so that they wouldn't escape. That's, you know, not a good thing, but that's your choices. And so Julius, again, wanting to spare Paul. And what strikes me is what was it about Paul that made this centurion care? What was it about him that provoked him to give him freedom and provoked him later on to spare his life? In Proverbs 16, 7, it says, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, 
he makes even his enemies live at peace with him. That's a powerful verse. And what I want to ask this morning are our ways pleasing to the Lord enough to bring about peace, even with our enemies? Are we living a life where people can see us? And Jesus said this, live your life in such a way that men will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That they won't be able to look at you and say, I don't trust that guy. I don't know about her. She's iffy. But there is enough within you that makes them say, they're okay. I'm at peace with them and their situation. Are we living that kind of life that even our enemies are at peace with us? You know, peace is a trademark of the Lord. We, we talked about this a little bit last week on Father's Day. We talked about the DNA of God being love and also being peace. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And it's different between a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. A peacekeeper just tries to keep things from exploding. A peacemaker brings peace into the situation. When Jesus was born, they said, of his birth, the angel said, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Isaiah 9, verse 6, talked about Jesus and said, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And this idea of peace encompasses who Jesus is and is to encompass who we are as well. That it would rub off of us, so to speak, and affect other people. And you and I know what it's like to live among people who aren't at peace. We, we know what it's like to have confrontation it's around us all the time. It's around us on the freeway. It's around us in our homes. It's around us at work. Situations elevate. And really, the lack of peace is very often due to the pushing of ourselves and wanting our way. But we see in this example of Paul, that there is an absence of this forcefulness. That he's no longer pushing and pushing that for two years he's stayed in this situation. They've seen him in prison for two years. They've watched him. They've heard him. And now they know what kind of person he is through this difficult situation. Maybe you find yourself in a difficult situation this morning. And I know some of your stories, and I know some of the things that you guys are going through that are hard. Where is that taking you? Where are you allowing it to lead you? 
Are you allowing it to develop and work within you? Are you allowing it to make you wiser still? Or are you just getting frustrated? I've had enough about this. Enough is enough. And then we say, what about me? What about you? What about me deserves more? And once we start asserting ourselves, we start taking away the possibility of peace. And we need to recognize this because God desires us to live at peace with those around us those of our faith and those that aren't of our faith. In fact, peace is connected to people. When we think peace, we might think of a tranquil situation out by the river somewhere, you know, under, up at the mountains, you know, whatever it is, that would be peaceful. But the idea that God has peace is interacted with people. Everything is interacted with people. It's all about people. Turn to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, Jesus gives us a parable. And it's an awkward parable when we first look at it because we start thinking, well, this, this isn't right. But he's trying to make a point, and it's a very important point that we need to get a hold of. Luke 16, verse 1. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 400. Then he asked the second, And how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, Take your bill and make it 800. Now, first of all, stop here because that's not right. That's not his stuff. That's not his olive oil. Those aren't his bushels. He, he's jipping his master. Okay, we got to get that clear. We might think, oh, it's okay then. You know, I can, someone knows me. I don't have to give him all of it. Okay, just to make that clear in case you're thinking, you know, this is something you're going to pattern yourself after. Verse 8, he goes on and he says, the master commended the dishonest, okay, notice that word dishonest, commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. Okay, what's he trying to get out here? What's, what's the point here? This manager was commended not because he was dishonest, but because he made friends. 
because it's all about people. If you're going to invest in something, you need to invest in people. You need to care about how you interact with those around you. And he was shrewd and commended because he made peace with these people and that would affect his life and his future. Our dealings with people will affect us in dramatic ways. And if we don't learn to live at peace with those around us, if we are constantly an aggravated state with people, it will affect your life. And you are distant and are making God not visible in your life. And Jesus is telling us through this parable how important it is to develop relationships with people. He's not commended for being dishonest. He's commended because he dealt wisely with people. He used money to get friends instead of to get wealth. He didn't go and pocket the extra 200 bushels. He made friends. How wise are we with people? Paul, in his life, developed a friend in this man, Julius. And it was to his advantage. We saw that it saved his life when the ship was going down, when things were rough. In Romans chapter 12, Verse 17 and 18, it says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of who? Everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible. That means sometimes it's not possible. There are some people, you might know them, it's not possible. I tried to live at peace with them, and it's just not possible. But if it is possible, you got to try. Don't just say it's impossible. you got to try first. <laughs> They're impossible. Have you tried? Well, no, it's just impossible. As much as lies within you, live at peace with everyone. Everyone? Everyone? Really, God? Everyone? What about just these people who I like? What about those that are easy to like? You know, there was a gentleman. A lot of you know him. He's since gone to, to be with the Lord. His name was Ed Freed. Those of you who know Ed... When I was doing the music over at Calvary Upland, Ed would always be there early. He was always there early, even Tuesday mornings. He was there before the sun came up. Steve used to say he was a vampire. But <laughs> he would be there, and we'd be practicing, and he'd be standing at the back of the room like this. And he came up to me, no kidding, one time, and he said, your music 
is deafening. Not deafening, is deafening. It, it, it's killing you. It's killing me. And, and this was my relationship with that. It seemed like whatever I would do, especially in music, he didn't like. I don't know what kind of music he liked. I, I don't know, maybe Bill Gaither or something. I don't know. But he was constantly just kind of in this adversarial role in my life. And I can remember thinking, dude, what's your problem? Lighten up. Other people like the music. I hope. <laughs> Why are you doing this? And I can remember very specifically God telling me, be careful. Be careful how you treat him. Because how you treat him is how you treat me. And it was real clear. And so Ed Freed became my Jesus that I had to deal with. <laughs> Oops. And, you know, things never changed a whole lot. He never liked my music, but he always let me know. <laughs> and as many of you know, Ed was diabetic, and a few times he would have seizures, and he would go into just this catatonic state, and we'd have to put orange juice and get his blood sugar back up. I remember one Tuesday morning, I was doing a Bible study, and Ed was there at who knows what time. I got there early, and it was like five, and he was there before me waiting you know, at the door. I felt bad, like, how long have you been waiting here, Ed? I'm here an hour early, and you're waiting for me. I mean, what, what if I didn't get here till six? You'd have been waiting for an hour. Don't do that, Ed. You're making me feel bad. Anyway, I, I went in there, and I was getting things ready, and then I came out of my office, and there was Ed on the floor. He'd gone into one of his seizures, and I was like, oh. Not now, Ed, not now. Got some orange juice, you know, I took him, put him, and then, you know, I think the paramedics came that time, and he was okay. Well, Ed lost that battle with diabetes, and he lost his life. And I remember I was in Wales on a mission trip when this took place. And I thought, oh, wow, Ed's gone. And I remember sensing from the Lord and having a memory of just thinking about this that the Lord imprinted on my mind. Thank you for taking care of me. You see, the fond memories I have of Ed, I joke about his not liking my music, but the memories I have about Ed were having his head in my lap and giving him orange juice so he could get out of that diabetic coma. And Jesus saying, thanks for taking care of me. Thanks for caring enough to put my head in your lap and get me out of that. That's my memory of Ed. And I'm so thankful that I have that memory. As much as possible, live at peace with everyone and treat everyone like you would Jesus. 
everyone. Not just the ones you like, not just the ones that are cool, not just the ones that are popular and look cool. Everyone. We are to love even as he loves us. It's important. And it makes a difference. Later on in Romans it says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's what we need to do. Now, we didn't go through this whole chapter, but in this chapter, for two weeks, Paul and 276 altogether are on this boat, lost at sea, in the storm. They can't eat because they're seasick. They don't know where they are because the sun hasn't been out because it's cloudy. There are no stars. They didn't have a compass, so they're just lost, and they are sick. They have given up hope. Paul warned them, hey, guys, it's not going to be good. Later on, he tells them in verse 23 of Acts 27, he says, starting verse 21, it says, After the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, I told you so. Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because none of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. So that's good news to everyone except the owner of the ship. Verse 23, last night an angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. Now, Paul and this group are lost at sea. They're thinking they're dead. They're thinking it's over. And Paul says, don't worry about it. It reminds me of another story of someone who was on a ship. Turn to Jonah if you can. Maybe you guys are familiar with this. The book of Jonah, it's right after Amos, right before Micah, towards the very end of the Old Testament. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. We'll read through verse 5. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amathai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. That sounds dumb. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break it up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, and he lay down and fell into a deep sleep we see almost the same picture with Paul and Acts, but there's something different. 
You see, here they're all afraid. They're, they're praying to their gods. They're throwing the cargo over the ship. In Acts 27, they're afraid. They're throwing everything over the ship. They're afraid it's going to break up, and they're strapping it with, with rope to try and keep it together. But in, in Jonah's account, we see that he's underneath the deck and asleep. And Acts and Paul's account, it says that the Lord told him he had graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. See, in, in Paul's case, Paul was praying for the people who were with him. In Jonah's case, he was asleep. One cared, and one didn't. The question for us this morning is, who are we? Are we like Paul, where we care, where we're praying for them? Or as it says, God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. God has given you the lives. That meant that Paul was a part of their salvation from this storm, from this disaster. Paul, God has graciously given you their lives. The lives of those on Jonah's boat they were in his hands too, but he was asleep and didn't care. Which one represents us? Do we care? Are we like Paul and we're praying, we're involved, and we desire their salvation? We desire their life? We desire them to be okay? Or are we like Jonah? I don't care about them. I'm going to sleep. What about me? I don't want to go to Nineveh. What about me? This isn't how I want things to go. Who cares about them? What about me? But Paul, on the other hand, cares about the lives of those around him. And because he cares, God has graciously given to you the lives of all there who are aboard the boat. What a powerful example and contrast that is for us. Because many times, without thinking about it, we can get into the place where we just don't care about anyone but ourselves and how this affects us. Remember the context. Paul has been a prisoner for two years unjustly. He didn't deserve to be there. They had forgotten about him. If anyone had a right to be upset, it was Paul if anyone had a right to say, you guys drowned. I don't care. I'm out of here. But you see, Paul's care, Paul's concern, Paul's love for them was seen by a Julius. And he said, spare this man. He had favor. Because when a man's ways please the Lord, he can cause even his enemies to be at peace with him. They can see God in you 
if you allow him to be represented. If you're willing to take care and love them, even as God has loved you. And so the challenge for us this morning is how are we going to live in this world and the situation we find ourselves in with the conflict that we find ourselves in, with the frustration that we find ourselves in, with the dishonesty, with the things that aren't fair when things aren't going our way, when we are being accused falsely, when we are having to wait for an answer when we are weak, when we are struggling. How are we going to respond? Are we going to go to sleep and say, it's about me now, I need to take care of myself? Or are we going to pray that God would give us the lives of those around us? Because one of those ways... represents Jesus. Who did not think his life anything but laid it down for us. One of those ways represents Jesus. And so the question is, who do we want to be like? And, you know, I, I've been prompted just with a number of things and, and situations that have taken place in my own life to see the need to make peace. And in Hebrews chapter 1, it says, don't let that which is lame be put off. Rather, let it be healed. A lot of times we just, I'm out of here. I'm done. I can't deal with it. I'm gone. And, and the writer of Hebrews says, don't put it off. Let it be healed. Make it better. Well, I can't make it better. Well, you can't change someone else, but you can change yourself. You can deal with who you are. That's what I tell married couples when I talk to them. You're responsible for 50% of this marriage. If you take care of 50% of it, half of it should be great. Then if the other person just gives a little bit, you're over the mark. Maybe it's 55% good, but at least it's 55. But you are responsible. You can't change the other person, but you can change yourself. And we are responsible for our conduct. And as much as possible, live at peace with everyone. Even the Roman guard who's watching over you, even the guy who doesn't like your music. Because by doing that, you represent Jesus. So I pray that we would represent Jesus and allow the Lord to be honored within our lives. Let's pray. Lord, I know it's a lot easier to, to sit up here and talk about these things, and it is another thing to do them. But Lord, we need to have the right perspective, and we can see that perspective in Paul 
with where he was at and with how he represented himself. And Lord, I too pray that we would be wise and grow wiser still. That this journey that we are on is not over and we can learn and move forward in our relationship with you and in our relationship with others. And just as Paul grew and more and more represented you, I pray that's true for all of us here. Father, that we would be patient. God, that we would care. That we would invest in people and not just in ourselves. That we would invest in these relationships that we have that are in conflict. And God, we can't guarantee how someone else will act, but we can act the way you desire us to and entrust the rest to you. Lord, I pray that you would bring peace into our lives. The turmoil that we're going through, I pray that you would bring peace. And Lord, this is not just about us. We are not left to ourselves and, well, you've got to work through it. God, you are with us. You are that hidden ingredient that is able to change the hearts of men and women, you are able to change our hearts. And I pray you would. I pray you would. Reveal to us what needs to change. Reveal to us what's selfish. Reveal to us how we are not caring like you care. And then change us so that we will. Thank you for being patient. Thank you for being merciful. Thank you for helping us as a loving father. Lord, we entrust ourselves to you and ask that you would be honored within our lives. We do pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.